Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and this episode is Q&A number 107. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Precision Hydration make electrolyte products that you can match to your individual sweat sodium content. So if you are losing a lot of sodium in your sweat, then you can get a strong concentrated supplement. Whereas if you're losing more of a moderate or a low amount, then you'll get the corresponding supplements. And this is uh, very easy to figure out because Precision Hydration have created an online sweat test, which is a simple questionnaire that you can complete in just a few minutes. And uh, that will give you a good ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat. So you can check that out on precisionhydration.com and you can get 15% off your order of electrolytes with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And they are trusted by uh, top world-class athletes like Javier Gomez, Lucy Charles Barclay, Katie Sefiris, and many, many others that have been taking wins and podium slots in uh, many of the world's biggest races on both the short course and long course uh, side of triathlon racing. You can get 20% off your Roka order when you go to roka.com forward slash TTS. Now let's get into today's question, which is from Fernando in Portugal, who writes, Hi Michael, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and your work. Hands down, one of the best podcasts related to triathlon and endurance sports in general. I was revisiting some of your older episodes and I was fascinated by episode 85 about muscle oxygen saturation, SMO2 with Roger Schmitz. I was wondering why why you did not have some follow-up on this technology uh, or training methodology. Have you tested this approach or have you found out that this device is not quite as useful as it sounded? There is a relatively new player in the same field, a company called Human, who makes the same type of device at a more competitive and affordable price than Moxie. Do you think this is a good training tool? I am also experienced with the inside physiological testing and metabolic profile. In a previous episode with Sebastian Weber in episode number 238, it was mentioned that athletes with a higher VLA max can sustain super threshold efforts. Uh, So for example, VO2 max intervals of relatively longer durations, for example, two to four minutes compared to those with a lower VLA max. So would you consider it a relevant utilization of muscle oxygen saturation sensors uh, to fine-tune the interval sessions, in other words, prescribing the appropriate intensity, duration, and rest period, thereby being able to validate uh, the appropriate training stimulus depending on the individual physiological profile? Could the oxygen saturation provide an, an added value to the inside test as well? Kind regards, Fernando in Portugal. Uh, All right, thank you, Fernando, for the question. And also, apologies, listeners, if you hear some drilling in the background. That's uh, my neighbor, I think. Uh, Let's hope that it doesn't get (laughs) too annoying during this episode. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's not something I can do much about, unfortunately. Uh, Anyway, um, so yes, for the listeners that are not aware, because this is some time ago, I interviewed Roger Schmitz, who is the founder and CEO of uh, Moxie, 
which is a device that measures uh, oxygen saturation. And that was episode 85. I'll link to it in the episode description. What MOXIE is, and also uh, human, as uh, as Fernando mentions, is a device that uses NIRS, which is Near Infrared Spectroscopy, uh, which can be used to measure non-invasively the percentage of hemoglobin and myoglobin that's carrying oxygen in the capillaries and in the muscle tissue, where the oxygen is, of course, being used uh, in the production of energy. By measuring uh, this, we can get an indication of the balance between essentially the supply and demand of oxygen in the muscle. Uh, So do we have uh, more oxygen within the muscles getting out of the uh, of the blood or is there more oxygen in the blood and uh, not as much being extracted into the muscle that's essentially what we mean by uh, supply and demand here in this context the device itself is uh, small reasonably small and can be used during exercise in the lab and in the field uh, for example by just tucking it uh, in under compression shorts or uh, bike shorts essentially as long as there's a tight fit it works or it can be taped so uh, that's what the device is in short what oxygen saturation actually means in physiological terms if we take a workout as an example uh, if you start working out at a low intensity your body will start supplying oxygen to the muscles so your your heart rate will be going up and your stroke volume will also go up so you will uh, pump more blood for your body and that blood is carrying oxygen in the hemoglobin molecules to the muscles But uh, your muscles at this point, when the intensity is low, don't need to use all of that oxygen. So here we have a situation where oxygen supply increases, the oxygen available in the bloodstream, and the oxygen saturation or SMO2 goes up. But at a certain intensity, the oxygen that the muscles need to create uh, the energy needed to produce that intensity will eventually match the supply in the bloodstream. So uh, so at that point, you will start to see a plateau. Uh, SMO2, oxygen saturation, stops going up. So what happens if you keep increasing intensity beyond this point? Well, the body will respond and it will keep increasing the supply. So the demand goes up because intensity increases. And uh, by definition, we need to to have more well not by definition by uh, physiology we need to to have more oxygen in the uh, in the muscle cells to produce more energy but uh, the body responds by increasing heart rate increasing stroke volume you basically get more get more oxygen so supply and demand are evenly matched and uh, smo2 stays constant when i say smo2 that simply means uh, oxygen saturation so uh, just as a shorthand for it so in In this range, from where supply and demand first matched and you first get the plateau uh, to a certain point where where SMO2 starts to to drop, the body will be in homeostasis. But uh, there will be a level where uh, your body cannot supply more oxygen when the intensity increases further. So uh, then the oxygen demand keeps increasing, but the supply cannot increase anymore. And this is where you will see SMO2 start decreasing again. So we had an increasing curve of SMO2 at the start when we go from a low intensity, we're starting warm up, for example, to where we reach some sort of steady intensity, where it starts to plateau and it remains flat uh, with some increase in the intensity. But then at a certain point, you will start to see 
a decline in SMO2 because uh, supply can't keep up with demand. The potential benefits of measuring this has to do with what can be inferred based on this balance of supply and demand of oxygen. So if your body can deliver more oxygen to the muscles than what the muscles can actually use, uh, so this is the uh, situation where supply exceeds demand, then SMO2 is going up, as we mentioned, and vice versa. If the muscles uh, are demanding more oxygen than can be supplied by the body, then the SMO2 will go down. And uh, that's what can potentially be beneficial. Uh, I will give some examples directly from my interview with Roger. And uh, so I quote here, some people who go as hard as they can go in one of these assessments won't desaturate. They'll be at 75 to 80% saturation. And no matter how hard they go, they, can, they can't get saturation to go below that. This is an extreme case of muscle limitation. Their muscles can't use all the oxygen that the rest of their body is capable of delivering. So to give some context to that, when when Roger says that some people will never go below 75 to 80% oxygen saturation, that means that there's still a large amount of oxygen flowing around in the blood that is not being extracted by the muscles. So, uh, so even though there is a demand, uh, it can't be... Well, the demand is low. The, the muscles aren't demanding for whatever reason. That is a limitation. The supply is there, but the demand is the limitation. So the limitation is on the side of the muscles. But then to give the other example, uh, so again, quoting Roger, on the flip side, you'll see somebody who is desaturated down to 10 to 20% when they ride at their FTP or even a little bit below FTP. This is an indication that they have really good muscle oxidative capacity in their muscles, but their body can't deliver as much oxygen as their muscles can use. So again, 10 to 20% refers to how much uh, saturation you have in your bloodstream. So there you can see that your muscles are extracting almost all of the oxygen. So that is a low level of uh, low level of saturation in the blood and a high level of extraction in the muscles. And that means that your limitation is not on the muscle side because the muscles are essentially extracting all of the oxygen that is delivered to it, that is supplied to it, but the limitation here is the supply. So you actually need to get your cardiovascular system to pump more blood, blood and get more oxygen to the muscles to be able to, uh, to increase performance there. So that is uh, basically a couple of examples to show you what you could potentially get out of measuring oxygen saturations. And in theory, uh, we can take it a step further. Uh, what is the actionable information we get here? Well, we know that if you are limited in the oxygen supply, so the second examples, uh, example I, uh, I took here, then you need to work on your cardiovascular or central system, work on cardiovascular adaptations. This can be done by doing, well, you can do a high volume of training. That's one as aspect of it, certainly. But also, specifically, you can do high-intensity interval training, VO2max training, call it what you want, but basically really hard intervals that get you to close to your maximum heart rate and get your, uh, get your stroke uh, volume to close to your maximum stroke volume to, to elicit uh, an adaptation, hopefully, in increasing stroke volume. So that's an example of how, if you know that you're limited centrally, you might know what you should work on. If, on the other hand, your limitation is on the muscle side, so peripheral adaptations, as we 
might call them and uh, the oxygen demand side of things then you might want to focus more on the type of training that targets creating more mitochondria uh, because they can then use that oxygen and uh, create energy those are the remember the powerhouses of the cells so mitochondrial biogenesis is a keyword there this can be uh, be had with a lot of steady endurance training again a high volume of training is important but also potentially the type of training that makes your fast twitch fibers better able to work aerobically so working for extended durations at moderate intensities might be one aspect of that or even doing things like high force or high torque work so for example on the bike it could look like low cadence moderate intensity training uh, those both those type, types of training will uh, engage and recruit fast twitch fibers and do enough of that and you will slowly but surely make them more oxidative they will have more efficient mitochondria maybe more mitochondria hopefully so then again you will improve the muscle side of things the demand side of things there are many other use uh, cases including using uh, oxygen saturation within testing protocols to get a better idea of training zones so in essence uh, what the manufacturers would say at least is that this could be a substitute for lactate testing uh, also there are interesting research applications within endurance sports and there are applications in altitude training so on twitter for example alan cousins past guest on the show mentioned uh, oxygen saturation being a really good tool for getting altitude training right and i also believe if i'm not mistaken that adil twyten and the norwegian triathlon squad use uh, oxygen saturation for their altitude training camps i may be mistaken so don't quote me on that but i think that is the case uh, i will also link in the episode description to an article written by coach chris myers also a past guest of the podcast that article is called muscle oxygen oxygenation applications to endurance training you can read that article uh, chris is uh, a proponent of using muscle oxygen oxygenation measurements so you can look at that to get some ideas of how he uses it now let's talk a little bit about the devices uh, you mentioned uh, there are two main players on the market when it comes to these uh, muscle oxygenation uh, devices moxie and human and both mentioned in your question fernando so i'll link to the websites of both of these in the episode description so you can have a look i really don't know anything about which one is better so uh, that's not something you can expect to get from this episode i'll say that right away both have been used in valid validation studies which is a great start there is some peer-reviewed research around them i have not read the whole study so so i can't comment further on that on the study protocols and whether it's adequate to prove what <laughs> that, that is always the question when we uh, when we read studies what what is actually shown in the study but i will link to them these studies in the episode description so that you can go and have a look yourself one big difference between the two as fernando mentions is the cost the moxie seems to be starting from around 800 us dollars and the human seems to be available for 290 euros plus vat so with shipping getting it close to 400 euros so let's call it roughly half the price of the moxie when you add the vat human they probably have a lot more marketing money behind them uh, which is pretty evident if you look at their website compared to moxies but moxie have been around for much longer and i believe they have been used much more in research 
where labs are using muscle oxygen oxygenation uh, then probably the moxie has been their go-to for a long time and i don't think that that is necessarily something that's going to change anytime soon that's not to say it's better but it's something to think about but what is the downside then so why haven't i talked about this why don't we hear more about this top coaches using it well there are several issues or potential issues with measuring muscle oxygenation first of all you really need a very good understanding of physiology to interpret the data and make it in any way useful i hope that my explanations of how it can potentially be useful were reasonably clear but i will be the first to admit that uh, trying to make this topic easily understandable is not an easy task at all and i hope i did a decent job of that but but i'm sure that uh, there might be some open-ended questions still and uh, that my explanations might not have been perfect but uh, anyway going back to the point that you need a really good understanding of physiology to interpret the data and make it useful there are very few athletes and even coaches that have that kind of knowledge and i would say for sure that i do not have that knowledge right now if i got a device in my hands i would need to spend many hours tens of hours reading the research on muscle oxygenation in endurance sports but not just that also really connecting the dots between the fundamentals of exercise physiology and how our bodies work the cardiovascular system the muscle cells and the oxygen extraction between the blood and the muscle cells and fundamental sounds like that simple but really it is anything but uh, and that is why everybody as i will get to in a minute are saying that well this is really not very easy it's really not very clear what the utility of the devices might be because the physiology behind it is complicated and it's not an easy thing to measure and probably almost impossible to measure as straightforward as i made it sound in the initial explanation of what the theory behind these devices are but Again, it would be a significant learning curve for uh, for me, but for anybody to really feel that you can interpret it in a meaningful full way. And I think most athletes simply don't have the luxury of having the amount of time to, to spend all of the time to first learn to understand the physiology to such a degree that, that you can make interpretations with the data that you get, but also connecting the technology itself to the physiology and th those are really two key parts that i would consider very difficult and one of the reasons that i'm not tempted to get a device like this right now but another big issue is the accuracy of the data itself even if the first point was a non-issue then this one really would really make the conclusion the same because when preparing for this episode, I actually went to Twitter and posted an open-ended question to coaches and scientists to comment on their experiences about the utility of ox muscle oxygenation in endurance sports. And uh, two of the most interesting and valuable replies I got were from uh, Matthias Hovorka in the Netherlands, who is doing his PhD in this field. He's also a triathlon and cycling coach. And he said that one main challenge that needs to be solved before SMO2 is ready to be used in training is simply reducing the noise that you get in the data during use in the field but even in the laboratory another really important answer was from felipe mattioni who is another phd candidate in the field and he said that people are trying to infer blood flow o2 extraction which is the demand part that i talked about that i just did in my explanation earlier but Philippe says that it's simply not as simple as that uh, and 
yeah, basically saying that the data can't be used to directly infer uh, either one of those blood flow or O2 extraction. So I can't elaborate because Twitter's character limit uh, is a hindrance for that. But but it really matches with some other things I've heard from from other people before, both on the accuracy side, but also just the direct use case and the connection to the physiology. That it's not as simple as it can make uh, as it can be made sound. So, in terms of recommendations, my take on using muscle oxygen saturation is. The reason that I have not talked about this since that interview with Roger Schmitz uh, almost three years ago is that I, I simply think that there must be a reason that few, if any, of the top coaches are really using it. When we start seeing it used by, for example, coaches like the coach of certain Ironman world champion German athletes, or why not the Norwegian triathlon group, beyond their potential using it at altitude but just in day-to-day training or or at least in some testing or among other t- other top coaches uh, won't list them all of course but that are using technology and devices when it makes sense to do so when we start to see that happen then we should start to take notice but we're not really seeing that so so that's that's one main reason that i haven't really talked about it or even to be honest considered it uh, for myself as a coach or as an athlete I had also heard from some researchers the issues around accuracy and noise uh, way a couple of years ago, actually probably close after doing that interview with Roger. I had some discussions around that in private with people in the know. Uh, so so that's not something new, but, uh, but that's something that came up again in the Twitter post that I, uh, that I sent out and in the responses that I got. So I definitely would not call these devices, well, I can't call them anything because I don't have the experience with them myself i would not call them garbage in garbage out but i'm simply saying that there are doubts over the accuracy of near space technology in general when it's used in varying ambient light conditions because nears is based on uh, like really accurate uh sensory sensing of the reflected uh the re- reflected wavelength of the of the light that is sent through the, into the tissue so changes in am- in ambient light conditions could have a big impact on it if it's if it's not if care is not taken to prevent that that's an an interesting engineering task but also i'm just curious how the full movement of running especially but also cycling might impact the uh, the accuracy of of the signal so finally going back to the post that i uh, that i did on twitter I got 10 to 15 people, mostly coaches and scientists, but a couple of athletes as well, weigh in on the matter on whether they consider, uh, whether they have used and consider oxygen saturation useful in training. Nobody is absolutely bashing the technology. And some say that it has one or maybe two particular use cases, uh, which it can be good for. So for example, altitude was one of those. But the vast majority of the people that responded were of the opinion that it's not very useful as a training tool and certainly not ready for the mainstream, more like fringe cases where there is a coach who is really invested in it, has a good understanding of the technology and the the physiology it's connected to, and uh, this coach is helping their athlete with a specific use case. So uh, that's... That's the take from people that are very knowledgeable in this uh, in this field. Many of them were doing PhDs in the field and uh, are, have been coaching with it and uh, have been using it for a long time, but finding it not to be that useful at the end of the day. 
So, uh, and it might actually be because of the great expertise of some of the people, for example, uh, doing PhDs, that they have a better understanding than the rest of us about the limitations of the technology. So I found that Twitter, those Twitter conversations I had really useful. You can, of course, go to my Twitter and have a look uh, if you see it. It's from late September. So you'll just scroll down in my feed and you'll see that. But that's basically my answer to your question, Fernando. Just to briefly touch on the use case you mentioned on using uh, oxygen saturation together with inside testing. I agree in theory, it works beautifully the way you uh, describe it. And maybe one day we'll get there. But with these some some fundamental issues that remain around the technology as it is, I don't think we're at that point right now. So that's it for today. Thank you for your question, Fernando. And everybody keep sending in questions to michael at scientifictriathlon.com. This was a very technical one, so I'd be happy to grab uh, something from the other end of the spectrum, a beginner question or beginner questions for next week. Uh, do send in those as well. You can find all the links that I mentioned throughout this episode in the episode description. And you can find this Q&A and all previous Q&As on scientifictriathlon.com. If you're interested in training plans or coaching, also check out scientifictriathlon.com and uh, the products and services we offer. Uh, we're getting really great feedback. So uh, I think that uh, if you're looking for either training plan or coaching, it's a great, uh, great place to turn. Thank you to Precision Hydration for sponsoring the podcast. You can find them on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test and get a personalized hydration strategy and use the promo code thattriathlonshow15 to get 15% off your order. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles and high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.